0: I saw a myriad of inversions happening from shirsasana A, shirsasana B, to forearm balance, which really blew my mind, and then to handstands that were happening somewhere in the middle of the room. But I was so physically wiped <laughs> that all I could do was lie sideways. And I remember watching people and being like, I want to do that. That looks amazing. Like, and, and I think the kid-like side of me was like the physical side of me really wanted to do that. It just looked like a lot of fun, but I had no energy to do it. So what did I do? That class was a 6 p.m. class. The next day I went back, and I went back, and then I
1: went back. Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to a special edition of the GLOBE podcast. Today I'm handing the microphone over to two GLO teachers, Jason Crandall and Dice Ida Klein. I've been extremely lucky to get to know both of them and work with them for roughly the past 11 to 12 years. So we're aiming for episodes like this to become part of a series on The Globe Podcast where our teachers take over, host the interviews, and sometimes interview each other. They'll share their passions about the philosophy and practice of yoga, mindful movement, meditation, what they value and wish to see more of in the world, their learnings, and anything else, we hope you might enjoy learning about them. I'm so excited to listen to these conversations. I've been privileged behind the scenes working on GLOW to sit in on conversations teachers have had between each other, with students, with our team. And I remember thinking those conversations were so powerful and inspiring. and. I wished often that we had recorded those thoughts for our members. And so this is an attempt to do just that. In this episode, Jason and Dice discuss what it means to be a teacher, among many other things. Uh, As Jason says, quote, the best way to have beginner's mind is to actually be a beginner at something. And as a teacher, if you are not an active beginner in something, you're going to lose a certain amount of humility, empathy, and skill." I really appreciate their sweet moments of candor and mutual admiration, and that they address what it means to continually ask oneself and others, what is yoga? And how by asking that question and being in conversation, we can move towards greater inclusivity, learning, curiosity, growth mindset, psychological safety, all of which, in my opinion, are some of the qualities and core values of the best teachers. You'll hear their reflections on teaching online and the importance of considering one's movement mindfully, both in the moment and across life stages. I also appreciate that they share how they address and navigate some of their own limitations and boundaries with humility, the benefits of skillfully navigating constraints, and how vital adaptability is. I hope you enjoy this conversation between Jason and Dice. So Dice, I...
2: Okay, so a little a a tiny bit of context here. I think it's interesting, right, because we've both been on Glow for a long time. Yes, sir. So even though we haven't, met each other more than one time which is really weird and it was actually really really brief at once um i think we know each other through being at least on again off again distant students from time to time i take your classes um and i'm gonna i'm gonna think once in a while you've taken my classes um that's a wonderful assumption to make it's very honest yeah Yeah. yeah yeah Um, and so I have a couple of questions about you as a practitioner. And then, and then those are gonna kind of lead into some questions I have about you and your experience as a teacher, right? Okay, so the first Sounds thing great. the first question okay. that I have is you have a super broad and deep movement-based background, right? You have been a yoga asana practitioner for quite some time but yes, I have to assume that you have worked with other different modalities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, really my question is, can you tell me a little bit about your non-yoga, like movement upbringing, like what kinds of physicality was there before the yoga asana practice?
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful question. Um, it's actually one that I mean, you know, I'm sure you've been interviewed many times by many different people, but no one ever thinks to ask prior to the the yoga yeah. or at least the, you know, the running into yoga. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as far as movement and sports from a young age, um, I'd say, you know, around the age of five and six is when baseball and hockey became the rotation as far as okay, gonna movement. Okay, I'm going to pause you already. I'm going to do a ter- ter- terrible job of being a host. And I'm going to already stop you. Where did you grow up? And how was hockey part of that? So I'm, I'm actually born, I'm, I'm born and raised Los Angeles. Believe it or not, I'm not, I'm not a transplant. I'm actually from here. Um, but um, age zero to six, I mean, I, I started playing baseball. Baseball was actually earlier. Baseball was already by like the age of three or four started being able to throw the ball, hit the ball. T-ball was the first thing. And that was kind of like the first love. That was the thing that stuck. At the age of six, my mother... Um, she got a new job at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. Um, and so we moved ah, okay. to Boston. Hence, okay. hence that hacking. makes sense now. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Sorry was your um was your mother was she on the
0: medical side or was she on the administrative side? No, medical. My mother is a retired molecular biologist. Actually, specifically, she's an endocrinologist. She was. Oh, okay. When she was in that profession. So very much in the medical field. Yeah. So you moved to Boston age six
2: Mm -hmm. and you were introduced to hockey, which is, is um, I started playing hockey at five in Detroit. So the thing is like, if you play hockey in the States, you're from one of three places. You're from Detroit (laughs) or you're from the upper Midwest or you're from New England, right? That those are, those are the only options. Those are the three pockets. Yeah. Yeah. And then did you
0: stay with that sport for a period of time? Did you play for a while? Yeah. So, I mean, I played hockey up until – right until Bantam. So, we basically being uh, able okay. to check, starting to be able yeah, to yeah, use yeah. a little more physicality. And then at the age uh, – what is it? Right around 12, right as I entered Bantam, that's when my mom decided to move back to California. And so, Got it. And hockey was gone. Well, yeah, because the price of playing ice hockey was like almost double or triple what it was over in New England, where it's just a regular sport, you know? Um, so I ended up, what was cheaper was inline hockey. I picked up rollerblades and learned how to play mm. hockey that way. So um, I still stuck with it, but there's no checking in roller hockey. They they just always felt like it was too much, I guess. I I don't know what the reasoning was, but I think hockey ended around probably the age of like 14 for me. Um, and okay uh so as far as movement modalities hockey baseball early years but also one of the other main ones was just always tennis was another one from a very young age okay um and yeah i mean the, the truth is like i think with with the movement side of things my mother will quote this she'll say it the only way to get me to sleep was to make sure that i moved if i didn't move as a kid eh, I mean, that's probably the case for most people um that i was kind of unmanageable to, to especially when it came to my energy and and personality all of it so um, you know the physicality of things was it was brought to my attention very early that movement for me is a good remedy or medicine um you know for, for things i played hockey very seriously too
2: but mm-hmm. um i am so where what i'm wondering now is like was there some so so was there then a bridge did it go mm. from hockey and baseball and inline kind of directly into some exposure to yoga or was there was there a was there a more of a movement art that was a bridge did you have exposure to gymnastics did you have exposure to like breakdancing was there something
0: <laughs> in there that kind of put those two things together no so honestly you know all, all these um i guess you could say know organized recreational sports where those those are all the different facets of movement that i was attached to but there's there really wasn't any martial arts right there wasn't i feel like martial arts kind of is like a bridge uh between sure things like that but no i I honestly only the only way i discovered let's say hand balancing arm balancing all those things the idea of being on my hands which i guess has become somewhat of a forte and it's really the most one of the most enjoyable things for me was not through gymnastics or anything like that at a young age it came about upon discovering yoga asana um in 2007 that was the only exposure i ever had to it so what got you in the room that first time
2: yeah what got um, you into the first into yoga like what was it okay what was it and where was it
0: i I started working for lululemon on there uh at beverly hills store um full time i graduated from ucla and uh i was gonna move to japan and teach english uh, hadn't touched yoga anything just in the yeah. interim while the jet program made me wait you know, there, there's always there are a few months where they not only running background checks and all this but they just make you wait before they send you off uh i was like i need to make money so a friend had a a way in for lululemon on the sales floor here in la uh started teaching i mean, started um, working there full-time and started taking classes for free because th- i don't know if they do it still but as long as you wore lululemon apparel You could take anything for free, gym membership, Mm. any class, you name it. So from that, I was like, okay, I'll try a yoga class. So first yoga class, Sarah Ivanhoe, Yoga Works, Montana. Oh Um, my God. Well, talk about good,
2: like talk about cutting through the riffraff, like just getting to a good spot right away. Getting right in, getting right in. So I'm going to let you go in a second, but I was, I was, I am currently on retreat right now. And I was having this conversation with um, students last night, and I said this a few years ago when Matias passed. I said that I think Matias is one of, if not the most influential yoga teachers of this last century. And the reason being is nearly everyone has been influenced by her, and they don't know it. it that was the big one, is that they don't know it. Right. It's because they don't know, yeah. it. know it. They're like, who? Yeah. She's not? No way. I guarantee, like, if you do vinyasa yoga and you pay attention to where you place your foot, I can mm-hmm. pretty much tell you a lot of that came from her and her teachers, right? And Absolutely. so that was such an epicenter of yoga. I mean, going back to the 90s, but especially in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah, who we have also worked with, yeah. um, such a good teacher there so you found yourself in a pretty remarkably
0: good place right away so you landed in Sarah's class i landed in sarah's class and i, and I actually look forward to hearing about your 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 humble beginnings as well so i, I actually want to ask but i'll yeah. keep going with mine but um i yeah i i didn't realize being in los angeles you know i mean obviously with the western take on yoga and the way it's been absorbed here i didn't realize that la was kind of like a hub i mean in the beginning there was yeah. no uh understanding other than san fran you know up a little more north uh i yeah. happened to stumble into that studio which was chuck and matisse studio you know i, I didn't know yeah. that that was that that was the home that was actually the home base um but I, I fell into sarah's class i think it was a vinyasa flow level two three it was a two three class and uh I mean, I don't know how much we can curse on here, but that—that's pretty much how I felt. <laughs> but by, yeah. by minute fifty-five, she gave the window of two or three minutes to invert of any kind, and that was the first time I was like, "Invert? What do you mean? In invert? is And yeah. so I saw a myriad of inversions happening from shirsasana A, shirsasana B, to forearm balance, which really blew my mind, and then to handstands that were yeah. happening somewhere in the middle of the room. But I was so physically wiped <laughs> that all I could do was lie sideways. And I remember watching people and being like, I want to yeah. do that. That looks amazing. Like, and And I think the kid-like side of me was like, the physical side of me really wanted to do that just looked like a lot of fun but i had no energy to do it so what did i do that class was a 6 p.m class the next day i went back and i went back Mm. and then i went back including her class including vinnie marino's class uh and then kind of stumbled into raganoth capo who used to be here in la who yeah really mixed in the philosophy of yoga, as well as the asana, and really had a beautiful way of marrying the two into a class, but also found uh, the Cahills at the time, Brock and Krista Cahill as well, who were really popular here in LA over a decade ago for especially inverting. That was the big thing. Um, So that's how I stumbled into yoga, and obviously the asana, but also just the time on hands. That's where it hooked me. Prior to that, prior to yoga, I had no, no idea that that was possible or even Uh, something capable, you know, something possible for me to, to do. So
2: you had so many good teachers, right. And knowing Mm. all of those people, I can, it's interesting, right. Cause I can kind of see influences and pieces of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that you, you also took class for a period of time. Was Noah
0: Maze a regular teacher of yours? Yeah. I mean, I think Noah was a little less on the frequency but the one thing I will say is, he was a main faculty in my 200 hour training, which was an Anusara training. Ah. I, I, okay, so, that, learned- so that's
2: kind of where I was going, right? So, yeah, to, just to give even broader context for people that are listening. So, that world of yoga works, especially in those early 2000s, and the mm-hmm. teachers that I spoke of were all, and you know, many still are exceptional mm-hmm. teachers, right? Mm-hmm. And that world, and one of the reasons I say that Mati was so influential was Mati was really, and that world really was blending schools of yoga while retaining a high level of integrity in each one of those schools. That beautifully said. Yeah. Right. So, did you spend much time in, in, in the, in any of those root schools. So for example, like, did you spend time more in the Iyengar world or more in the Ashtanga world or more, I mean, Anusar in a way is also a derivative in a way, a derivative of those. Mm. Um, or did you spend more, more time with that, like high integrity, um, cross pollination set of teachers?
1: Mm.
0: Well, I, I would say majority is definitely the, the, the cross pollination, But again, because I even during my teacher training, and even during those, let's say the first year of yoga, I was still working part time with Lulu, to where I was still taking all the classes that I could everywhere. So I wasn't just to one that Montana studio, I would end up Oh, yeah, I I was, I was doing two days, you know, football two days, I Hmm. was doing yoga two days, morning before I went to work, and then afternoon or evening before everything else. That's what I, I, I fell in love. And so Yoga Works was a main staple when it came to like, uh, you know, a lot of, I think the cross pollination, but I also fell in love with the Anusara practices like uh, Chris Chavez, who is now in Istanbul uh, in Turkey, but he used to be here in LA. He was one of my primary Anusara teachers. And um, uh, I mean, who else? Uh, it, it was just a big mixture where also Ashtanga, I did Ashtanga heavily for about one year. I think it was from 2008 to 2009. So after a year of being doing kind of the mixed the the cross-pollination i guess we could say i did hit ashtanga for about a year straight and the primary series became a pretty normal thing for a while there um so i did dive into like one lineage in a sense sure pretty heavily at one point but over time and i'm i think this speaks to even where i am now with the things that i share within yoga and movement is i, I really love the aspect of i mean inclusivity in the in the mixture of things you know, and I think, that, like you said, I, I want to get to that.
2: Like that's, that's kind of like a big interest point for me. Um, yeah. and I want to get there, but I have a couple more, just like staying narrowly within the, like yeah. Yeah. more of the yoga mix before we kind of, kind of get to that. Yeah. Please keep me in line. Thank you. I, I'll tend to yeah. go so off. Your 200 hour, your 200 hour was mm. specifically in an asana training.
0: Yeah. So that's that why like when it came to sequencing, I learned flow or vinyasa flow sequencing by taking a lot of Yoga Works classes, that was more where I learned ah. the art of vinyasa flow. I didn't learn it through a training at all. It was always by taking, you know, I mean, and like if you think about it, like Annie Annie Carpenter, also one of my main teachers for a, really, especially early on, she had her hand really on the Yoga Works training for a long time yeah. there. And I remember, you know, just just by taking all these different classes, even though each teacher was different, there was still some sort of template that you could roughly. Decipher if you were if your ears, eyes, and you know your feeling were open to it, you could really pull it apart as a teacher, and I really absorbed that because to me, although I learned Anusara, I loved Anusara for the alignment I loved that mm-hmm. part of it wasn't even necessarily anatomy, but their alignment the way they cued, yeah. and I also loved that most of the teachers from the Anara community seemed to have some sort of lightness and um yeah levity to them, not that other people were so serious, but it was sometimes stern, which I appreciated, you know. They were overt about it. Yeah, they were very overt about it, That's a, yeah. It was part of their,
2: it the was culture. part of their mission, it was part yeah. of their culture, it was part of their personality, it was part of their the brand. Absolutely. Was that, was that yeah. levity and that kind of like overt heart-based work, <laughs> right, they, they, grace. they were very clear about spelling out the, the kind of psycho-emotional agenda. I don't mean that in any negative way, right? No, no, I understand. That was a a, a mission of Mm -hmm. theirs. Mm -hmm. But did you ever teach like on your bio, was it ever like Anyasara Influenced?
0: Or have yeah. so or has it? Yeah, it was it was on there. I mean, it's it. it actually, I think my bio hasn't really shifted much. But it says right no, right no, right. <laughs> we only change our bios when someone's like,
2: dude, it says you've been teaching yoga for six years. Pretty and much, like, that, yeah. Actually, someone yeah.
0: brought that to my attention. I think my bio right now says like ten years, and it's like, oh no, it's 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 a it's it's long overdue. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I um, I definitely put, it's in there. It says that I took my training an start training two hundred hour at um. At City Yoga of all places, which is not, which was a Yoga Works, yeah, um, over there at Santa Monica and Fairfax, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean that that's that's the beginning stages, and I mean that was a 200 hour, and like with a 300 hour, you know that that took some time because <laughs> it's so funny to have to lead trainings and and the specifics. I mean, we're, I'm deviating here, but like what's necessary to lead trainings, you know, the prerequisites and all that to have a 300 hour right right, right 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 yeah anyway yeah so 200 hour on isara that's right
2: so when di- okay so when did the this is going to kind of pretty soon take me into teaching right okay so we've kind of built this arc for you <laughs> at what point did you start d- incorporating other movement modalities that don't fit fit a little bit more overtly under the asana mm. world right like do you climb it, like is climbing part of the background i assume you do some sort of functional training or functional range conditioning like just it, and kind of seeing you um your aptitude as a student but also mm-hmm. the way you teach you i can see all of that yoga work stuff mm-hmm. but i don't see you currently limited to that content when you teach now so at some point there's your you are you are cross-pollinating as a student a little bit mm-hmm. outside of the yoga room again mm-hmm. when when
0: and when and what uh so i mean when the first initial when would be right after my son was born in 2013 you know the 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 adage it's so cliche to say, but injuries are your greatest teachers, or at least injuries can be a great catalyst to uh, make you shift something, shift gears. I uh, yeah. was so focused on getting my foot behind my head for so long, up until 2013, that I ended up getting there, and then I ended up <laughs> basically over overnutating the right SI joint. So I, I it, there was a pop. There's something that happened during one practice, and I was good for about a week, and then all of a sudden. I started having issues of being able to get out of bed and roll out of bed. And this is all still during teaching Mm. many classes, leading things. And, and, um, yoga asana specifically was not cutting it anymore. That was the first time after seven years of practicing or six years of practicing just heavily yoga asana. That was it. As far as the physicality, um, that was the first shift I had to look elsewhere. I first went to Ido portal, Went to the movement method there oh, first. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Who pointed out immediately that my pull strength was lacking one for the shoulder girdle. I Had good push strength, uh-huh. but no pull. And then the most important thing, he's like, "Oh, you have SI joint issues. Let's let's look at your squat. Let's look at your deadlift. Let's look at those kinds of things." And they were, I mean, I had no no strength whatsoever in those areas. The kind so of she, like hip hinge stuff and posterior
2: chain strength. Posterior wasn't chain.
0: There. You know, I mean, yeah. we, look, we can, again, I can deviate, but like, even the cue of like not over engaging your glutes that I drove totally. for so long, you know, like those things. We all did. We were where, wrong. We're Yeah, wrong, straight up. It's and okay. Created people a dysfunction are wrong. in myself, change. and I'm sure many other people. Uh, and I think I'm, I'm a great example of experimentation on myself, how that could go wrong. And that went wrong. I mean, I was doing something maybe that wasn't so useful but nonetheless the moment i started looking outside of yoga asana as far as you know physical things uh is when that started to rehab itself quite quickly through you saw, you saw some of the gaps in your training maybe precisely maybe some things
2: you had overdone and some other things you had underdone
0: i had underdone or i I, in order to specialize in something i mean ito says this is like when when you specialize in something you get really good at it but don't forget that that specialization also is a sacrifice of some kind elsewhere yeah yeah. Right. You know, and I think that's a beautiful thing to consider is that it doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's just something to really make note of. Um, and so, yeah, that was the initial 2013 when it shifted, you know, was like kind of like the first entry into that. And then over time, you know, um, when it came to arm balances, let's say, and hand balancing. The whole. <laughs> this is another one. Shoulder blades, you know, depression of the scapula, whilst in a hand we're balance. Just, we were so convinced <laughs> that the shoulder blade, no matter what, has to pull down. No matter it's what, as if just, the just scapula no what. is a
2: non-moving thing, and it just pulls
0: down. No, you want your neck out of your turtle shell. You yeah. never want yeah. to to feel like you know it's it's covering you. Um, so that that, that became another thing that I went to uh, different acrobatic schools, just handstand classes from like circus schools just to try it out and then to have is that, that when you started literally... doing
2: handstand on like uh, uh, canes. what do they call
0: those like the canes like canes and yes. parallettes too can- yeah. yeah i mean any apparatus that what's a parallette parallette is the you can use pvc pipe anything that puts your wrist more in a neutral space so rather than being Got extended it. or flexed you're right in the middle right you're just using yeah. it's almost okay. like holding under rings essentially if you were hanging um yeah, playing with handstands that way, but the main thing was all of them saying, look, shoulder blades down the back is not a wrong position, but if we're looking for longevity of time in, let's say, a pencil handstand, or you want to work on a one-arm, we're going to have to train your scapula to elevate, and we need some upward rotation yeah. there, buddy. Like, that's yeah. stability, yeah, 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 you yeah. know? Um, yeah. And so they changed that part of my practice. Um, and then on top of that, having, like, Ido from back in the day say, look, you have no pull strength is when I started incorporating more ring work. So, not necessarily calisthenics, but being able to do a muscle up, front lever, back lever, learning how to actually pull and use your upper body as well as the whole body, um, really shaped the movement modality. Really brought me another way, which then led me into climbing. So that's how climbing kind of. And so it's still been mostly body weight based things, but with different
2: apparatus.
0: Well, only in the past year. I'd say, have I started to actually lift, lift things like started really doing really checking out the difference between an RDL versus a deadlift. I didn't know there was a, sure, difference, sure, sure. you know, and like not Olympic lifting, but basic leg yeah. strength. And even now I'm cycling in LA to get to classes in different places. If I only have to go 10 miles, I'll ride a single speed bike and just do things like that. So I think the truth is I, I like having these different modalities. It, it um, yeah, I think it breeds. It opens the door for me where I almost feel like a beginner again in certain aspects. Not that I'm a, I'm a advanced in any way in anything. It's just I, I like I like the variants, and I like um, yeah, I, I like discovering new things. And I think that that's true to this day with even the things that I share at this point. You know, the way I teach. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that that um,
2: kind of takes me and so so some some questions about you as a teacher, right? Because I think I I think we <clears> first <throat> have to understand ourselves as teachers by understanding who we are as a student, right? Um, and I've said this to students all the time: like the best way to have beginner's mind is to actually go actually be a beginner at something. Yep. and yep. if if as a teacher you mm. are not act you are not an active beginner in something, you're gonna mm. lose a certain amount of humility, empathy, oh, and man. skill. If if as a teacher, you don't just have beginner's mind, but you are actively learning something that is new that you are mm. particularly bad at. Mm-hmm. Like if you are if you are learning something to the degree that you are bad at that thing, you'll probably yeah. be a good teacher in the thing that you're teaching. Because it's just there's so much more there's so much more resonance and empathy and understanding of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, um, you know, I said at the beginning that I'll take your class once in a while, but I've taken your class once in a while over the past 10 years, mm-hmm. right? Because we've both been on GLOW for a long time. So yep. there are a couple of people on GLOW that if I, if I want to kind of do something new or different or check out, I'll, I'll take their class. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen... I've seen, in a way, your ongoing development as a student because mm-hmm. your, um, the techniques that you teach continue to evolve. Um, yep. And I think for me, um, I think that that is an admirable and necessary trait. I will say this, which is I know within a minute of taking someone's class if they actually practice. I know. <laughs> Yeah. And, and because there's a different, there's a different field. There's like, there's a way of teaching from a known experience versus a way of teaching from a memorized experience. And they're mm-hmm. different.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the other thing you see with teachers that have an ongoing practice is, in most situations that practice, their, their classes continue to change. They just continue to change, not because they're trying to change them. Right, Right. right. but they evolve because there's new input. Like our interests yeah. and our values as a student, they evolve. And so that yep. comes through with our teaching. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when it was. I honestly don't know when it was, but I noticed at some point in your greetings, like the Yoga glow greetings, mm-hmm. do you know what you say? Like you're like, hey, what's up? Yeah. Welcome, hello, my fellow and yogis, yogis and movers. And movers. And movers. Yeah. So what I'm I'm wondering is like, do you remember when there was a period when you like, when you kind of decided to, I mean, not to get too nuanced in why you make that decision, but, but do you, like, can you remember a time when it was like, oh, maybe it's yogis and movers when, when I'm going to, when I want to kind of, um, when I want to invite everyone mm. and I don't want everyone to have to
0: call themselves one thing. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, I, I just have to say, yeah, you, you are, uh, man, I, I I just love you because I think it's, like, it's wonderful. Well, It's just wonderful how attentive you are. Yeah. You, you observe very well. And, and I, like I said, I've been interviewed in many different ways and this just makes it so much better. So anyway, uh, enough of that. But uh, um yeah, actually, the conversation did come, and I forget the exact instance, but I'd, I think it was probably three or four years ago. Honestly, that someone approached me and said, "Do you think what you teach is yoga?" Mm. That was that was a big, was, it, was that a kind of an accusatory way not to go yeah, that yeah, far It down wasn't, it wasn't, was it it like wasn't like an, a kind way. Let's just say that it was it was very, <laughs> and, <is> very <laughs> and it was definitely yeah, okay. from someone right. who, who, who who was. Mm, standing on the yoga box so to speak um i got you you know and and for me there's a whole a whole lot of work that had to happen there as far as how i took that conversation (laughs) but it was i would not take it well well you know and and i didn't blow up but it was a conversation of like well i thought yoga is is inclusivity and in yoga is really more screw the movement the asana and even the breath work and all that i thought it's a very much a, a self-introspection self-inquiry practice sure. i thought that's what it, it, it actually I mean, is among its many definitions yeah. right but sure. somehow to that person me teaching really was like hand balancing and teaching somewhat of a quote-unquote stronger practice was not yoga and that mm. immediately made me go. And I asked the question, well, then what is it to you? They're like, well, you're, you're moving. You're, you're, you're teaching movement. And in that instance, I remember going at first being mad that I was being told it was something separate from yoga. And then going in my mind, well, that's fine. If that's the conversation they have in their head, I actually feel that this is still yoga to me, but they bring up a good point. Maybe I'm actually by saying yogis every time, this is being actually very exclusive to people that maybe don't sure, want to sure, be called sure, sure. yogis or resonate with yoga, yeah. quote unquote. No, they're moving and they're coming here. If it's purely physical, who am I to judge that that's their their yeah. way of tapping in? Because it is a tapping in of some kind. Um, and so I started thinking, okay, fine, yogis and movers we're teaching some movement here and we're, we're still, there's the yoga element to me. That is the intentionality of breath or the intentionality of understanding where your body is in space, understanding how your mind is operating while you do these things difficult or not. But also we, yeah, we are moving sometimes dynamically. And sometimes we're a little more static, but that's where that came from for sure. I I think a lot
2: of times it's more accurate to be more general and Mm -hmm. right. And so Mm -hmm. to not, to not, overly defined yogi because that has a historical, mm. um, it has a more complicated historical context than mover, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's super interesting. So at what point, like at what point, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say this at what point do you feel like you became more interested in a pistol squat than triangle pose yeah well or or or, or are you do you know what i mean like 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 are those like at this point in in kind of your development Mm. um do you like do you now in terms of your movement work Mm. tend to find more time moving in different squatting modalities than a more conventional
0: triangle pose warrior two side <laughs> angle pose yeah i i that i mean I, I don't think it's because i think first i need to preface that i don't think it's because i think triangle is less useful or anything like that that right. has less utility than let's say a pistol squat because i find especially for a lot of bodies if we're again talking about the physical side of things a lot of people who sit all day or don't necessarily move or use their bodies in any way doing a triangle pose for five deep breaths actually has a lot of benefit there, there's there's so much in there obviously right and it's a great way to tie to to tap into your proprioception your ability to understand where you are in space but over time i realized things like triangle pose for me on a daily basis stop serving my ability to to walk or two yeah, walk yeah, up yeah. Stairs. yeah. What actually was yeah. necessary was my ability again, body weight. I love being able to balance on one leg and move through all these different ranges of motion and move yeah. through flexion, extension, add in rotation, uh abduction to adduction and being able to do all these things. I, I find it has it's added way more benefit to me now than when I was younger. I, I m- move better, not not saying my practice, I run better, move better as a human doing normal human things now than I did then because of my expansion into other modalities, not just the awesomeness side of things that I know from experience in my body. Um, It's interesting. You know, when,
2: when people will say, take yoga off the mat, the implication always is uh, a philosophical psycho emotional Mm -hmm. thing that we learn on the yoga mat and we take it into Mm -hmm. normal life but we can do the same thing actually with how our body works and the actual demands of our body in off the mat don't require us to do a five minute passive forward bend ever Mm -hmm. but they do require us to do dynamic movement in different loaded planes Mm -hmm. you know so for for me it's like I, I think about everything that I do in my body as just expanding an asana repertoire, and I understand mm-hmm. that the asana I practice has a specific historical context, mm-hmm. um, and I appreciate that for that. But I'm also of equally of equal interest in other movement modalities that that mm-hmm. I won't even say supplement it, but they're just another way of being. Present in a body and trying to help that body work. I've I've last two questions for you. No, okay. yeah, please, please. I, I, which I, is yeah, which is kind of along those lines, right? You you are physically very proficient, and there's two things that come up for me as a teacher from from watching your level of proficiency. Hmm. Number one is I wonder what are the hardest like how, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. For your body, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll start with me. I will tell you, my easiest hard poses are arm mm-hmm. balances. This mm-hmm. is what my body is able to do. I have a decent strength to weight ratio, so yeah, my I, I can make I can make certain arm balances that are hard for a large population. They're not as hard for me. But, but my my hardest hard postures are pretty much everything else but especially <laughs> backbends but especially backbends yeah so backbends are the poses that for me both in terms of how my mind works but but mostly how my body works mm-hmm. backbends I have the, the the low that's like my mm-hmm. lowest ceiling in terms mm-hmm. of my in terms of my postural abilities. What's that like for you? Cause we like people that study with you, we we know that those and not that you don't work hard for them, but we know you have an extremely
0: high proficiency when you're on your hands. Yes, sir. So <laughs> what pushes your buttons? I, I think I'm the same as you is is backbending actually is yeah, the least natural. I mean, I don't want to say maybe natural is not the way to put it, but I have to purposely make myself do backbends. <laughs> in the practice if I'm in a public class, because that's the thing I would probably omit the most, right? Um, So I I feel, and specifically backbends that don't involve an inversion, right? So if I invert Uh, and backbend, then that seems a little more, I feel a little more proficient, but let's just take, I mean, not setu bandhasana or setu bandhasarvangasana, but if I do like urdhva dhanurasana is one that I have to really focus on to do, but I, I feel great after I do it. But it is one that in the past few years, I've kind of shied away from, but I've slowly gotten back into it in the last year. Um, that, yeah, bends, big one. So right now, if you
2: had to either A, press in the handstand while talking, or mm-hmm.
0: B, do a walk while talking, <laughs> you'd rather do A? I'd rather do A, but I know B would give me some growth on many levels. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah try yeah. B, I would yeah. <laughs> but A would <laughs> yeah. be the the go-to. I mean i could I could talk upside down for for a while, you know that's just comfortable, <laughs> but yeah, I know yeah. Um, yeah, and then
2: the th- yeah I think I think like the last real question I have for you about teaching, um, and it's the thing mm-hmm. to me. Like I'm from the Midwest, so I, I really have a, a significant allergy when someone says something positive to me. The thing <laughs> to me that is um, for you, like I, I think the thing to me that is, is remarkable about y- your teaching is that mm. despite the fact that you have a very, um, ex- you'd be, despite the fact you have an extremely proficient asana practice Mm -hmm. you do two things really well which is you sequence for hard poses and easy poses but you're good at sequencing really good at sequencing and also you i've never felt rushed in one of your classes so right so there's two things there for a lot of people that have a high proficiency in their postures Mm. They're sometimes not quite as good at sequencing because they haven't had to go through as many steps to get there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like for me, like we'll say a backbend, right? Like for me, I'm Mm. really good at sequencing for most things, including backbends, because it's still, if I want to do Orva Dhanurasana right now, it's going to take me 20 minutes. And and it's not random 20 minutes. I have to do really specific things for 20 minutes to get there. Yep. But sometimes when you have people with certain high level skills, they don't, they don't know how to get other people to where they're able to get to
0: in their body. Does that make sense? Mm, Makes total sense. I mean, I think it comes back to the humility thing that you're talking about, or that, that, yeah, the resonance, um, the the ability to relate Um, first, and not to blow smoke, but like for Erdva, I remember this was years before. This is when you first had your – I think you were doing things that were like three poses to get into this, right? And it's not saying that that's just only those three poses, but like if yeah, you're yeah, in a time yeah. crunch, these are the three poses. Yeah. And I remember there was one yeah. for Erdva Dhanurasana. And you were like, all right, Setu Bandhasana, Dolphin Pose, Anjaneyasana, Erdva Dhanurasana. That was pretty much what yeah. you put together, right? And this, yeah. was, this is prob- – it's not a decade ago, but it's some time ago. Like my sequencing, I actually owe a lot to you, whether you know it or not. Is watching your videos, taking your classes, and also looking at the the um, uh, the information that you have out there, even prior to like social right, media right, times. Right. You, you sure yeah i think you're actually a very big inspiration on sequencing cuz if the question ever comes up of like well where do you get your ideas of sequencing or at least where do you get inspired by you're 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 pretty much number 1 that that you really are smart and that's it's it's i mean i know you asked me the question but like that is you, you were a very big inspiration then and still are as far as like intelligent sequencing because that does exist. I think sometimes people get a little muddled up with like sequencing and like, oh, well, you know, if it's well-rounded, it's great, which is true. There are many ways to sequence, but it's the intentionality. or like having an anchor of some sort that you're going for that matters the most when it right. comes to sequencing. Going back to your question. It makes sense to me that that dovetails actually into
2: your background with the yoga work stuff you know what i mean yeah. because it, it it's i think the way i approach things and the way that that classic 2000s yoga works world approaches <laughs> things yeah they have um there are it's not the same but there is there is a lot of crossover mm, absolutely like, yeah and then the, um, the other thing too is like what i was saying about not feeling rushed so so i think mm-hmm. as a yoga teacher we have a difficult job in that we're trying to teach people something, mm-hmm. but we're also trying to help people feel satiated in their body, right? Yeah. So if someone comes to like a level two, three, level three, five, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. They they, they often, that student has the expectation that they're going to move enough to feel satiated. Right. And so one thing that, teachers can do in that environment is just make everything feel really fast and crammed in, Mm -hmm. right? And that's kind of a modality. But I I think, like I would say in your class, like the thing, like taking a taking a hard class from you, versus a hard class from someone else, like if I take a hard class from you, there are going to be some postures in there that I'm that I don't have the ability to do. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to feel rushed. You know what I mean? And I, and I, and I prefer that I would prefer to have like a barrier to entry and pose. like, Oh, I just don't have that strength and range. So I can't do that thing. So I'm going to do the thing before that thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to work hard, but I'm not going to be rushed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wonder if for you, that's intentional, or if it's just that in your practice, you've just always liked a certain pace that is Hmm.
0: not like being late for a meeting. (laughs) <laughs> well i think i think there's two two things i'll say here first you know th- thanks for the the kind reflection and for seeing that in me i, I first if i you know that i'm fortunate enough to have joined glow what, now 12 years ago i think 2010 yeah, is when i joined right. on i think you were around you're at the same time right a little right. after that, a little after maybe in that in that pocket um yeah yes yeah. and and when i look at some of the older videos because i do oh you do i'm like oh my god why do you do that to? what what am i doing yeah it's like how how did anybody take these classes this is i mean it's horrendous in in i mean and and i'm hard on myself but just from a really outside perspective if i had if I was training someone to teach and that's how they taught, I'd be like, we need to have a discussion, a very good discussion. And so for you to say that it's not rushed, I guess you're not taking the older ones because the older ones <laughs> yeah, are like, oh yeah. my God. Well, I've not exactly taken every class in the library. No, 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 not, that's not my, <laughs> no, that's not what I meant. But like an older one is like, maybe oh, I've been a, a good picker. Yeah, no, you've been a good picker and I think I, look, in the past but I don't I'd but, say- but I don't think it's I don't think it's so much your style.
2: I think I for me again from the outside hmm. it it feels to me like you make when you make classes hard. You make them hard because of the skill level of the posture, yeah. Not because of like the rate at which you're hauling through things, absolutely. Or, or maybe that's what I've been sensible enough to select into it. It always feels like it always feels like there's still time to do the thing, or to yeah. realize
0: like you just can't do that thing. <laughs> well, I think the, the intentionality is there again. If I use the word anchor or focus or. I mean especially teaching online I'm very I feel very fortunate personally my experience with being able to teach on Glow and teach online it's given me this this ability to have to basically focus on one thing and kind of run with that for whatever time allotment I have which is I think yeah, in yeah, turn yeah. has taught me to be able to to teach specific things in in, in a succinct way without thinking yes. that I need a huge amount of right? depth doesn't necessarily go deep <laughs> Depth can still be shallow, but be so bountiful and abundant. Sorry to use those words. It's so yoga cliche, but you know what I mean? Like the, it's, yeah. it's it, I, I think, and so I think because of actually being on things like Glow, it's helped, especially in the public forum, how I lead classes. But online, yeah, I, I would much rather do less, physically speaking, like a number of postures, you name it, than do a lot to fill space. I I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. Yeah. I think personally in my body, the way I practice less is more that that really is the case. And so with, like you said, with difficulty of a class, if it's a level two, three, I'll even say as of late, Hey, this two, three means that I'm kind of going to do maybe some postures that might be a little bit more challenging, but it also means I'm probably not going to cue you as much as to how many other options there are because I'm very much yeah, for yeah, options. Yeah. I love options and I know you like options. You like sp- you talked about it speaking to the general. Like that is the that yeah. is the the I think to me that is a hallmark of a pretty decent teacher when you're able to at least give a few options and how do we make this inclusive for everybody regardless of level. Um I know it anyway. Yeah, for sure. Um, for yeah. sure. So yes, I think it is intentional and it's it's just um it's just come with time and experience. Because go look at those old ones if you ever have a free moment, and you will be like, maybe All I will see I'll take is how much conversation, like, how much even worse my
2: hair was ten years ago. Was it? I, it's I, just I, like it's just, just always overgrown. <laughs> I had like more hair, and I was even skinnier,
0: and somehow whiter. But dude, you're you're skinny. So the dog, the whole, the
2: further, I go back, the bigger my hair was, the skinnier I was, and the. But it might I be
0: was. the bigger hair that makes you look skinnier. Maybe that's what I, I is. know exactly. It could that's be. True. It's some combination because of all. For me, those it's not the hair. For me, it's very much the clothing. I'm like, what are you wearing? That also. what is going? But we <laughs> gotta. We
2: have to grant ourselves some grace. Things things change with time.
0: <laughs> I mean, no, it's a beautiful uh, uh, evolution. Absolutely. Um, so yeah but anytime know. anytime
2: you you're forced to work with constraints i think you get better at your job right because yeah. you have to figure out how to do that thing in a different way so for me yeah be, right even before glow um i learned so much by writing a ton for yoga journal I, that, and i was so, gonna say that's where i remember right? you from that, yeah yeah mm-hmm. so i wrote for yoga journal and I, I am not, like, I'm very happy to call myself a teacher. Mm-hmm. I, I am not a writer. I can write, but it's excruciating. And it's, mm. and it's like, it takes forever. It's super inefficient. Um, and if you've ever read anything of mine and it makes sense at all, it's because it was edited, at least back in the day. <laughs> but for me, I became a better yoga teacher because mm. I was writing about yoga. Yeah. So that so working with those parameters and those constraints, and thinking about a different audience and communicating in a way that was different, mm-hmm. it made me. It made me. Um, it. It made me have to change my craft mm. so that it worked for the moment. And I've always yeah. felt that with Glow. You know, we come down and it's like. You know, like a five-minute class on you know <laughs> level eight backbends. We're like, really? <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> All right. How would we do that? You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, when you when you when you work, when you have to, when you have to respond to different conditions, and mm-hmm. yeah, you, and you don't give up, like you know what I mean, like you actually yeah, do you it, make it work. You then, make it then of yeah. course, you get better when the constraints are off. It's like uh, it's like tr- it's like a drill. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in the arts or dance or athletics, it's like doing a drill. Mm. And then when that drill is over, you if you do it enough, you're better at the thing. Yeah. Like whatever Not whatever true. the broader thing is that you are drilling a component of, I feel that way as a teacher. I, I have yeah. no doubt that I am much better at my craft mm. as a function of. I mean, this is a GLOW podcast, but not just being on, it would be any environment, but, but the, it's the forced, forced. parameters yeah. that make us think and communicate in different ways.
0: Well, it's adaptability, right? I mean, and if we're going down yeah. like a Darwin type thing, it's like those, the ones that survive are obviously the ones that can adapt and evolve, right? To, to, to the yeah. surroundings, And it very much, I think it speaks also to personality where it's not that the world revolves around you. It's that you learn how to fit into the world, at least the environment that you're in, in that in that moment, you know, and I think having specific parameters, it's, it's learning how to keep yourself, the elements of yourself, you as you see yourself, but within the scope that people are asking you to be in at that time and place and knowing that that's not permanent, but it's just very much, okay, how do I fit in here? How, How do I still speak true to my voice, but how do I make it so that it, it suits the people that are asking me to do this. And I think, I think as a teacher or as a share of yoga and anything that we do, I I think that's kind of what the work is more and more. We keep learning how to better. Um, yeah. Digest the information and also be able to share it back so that it's digestible for other people. Like you keep, you know, making it available and, and, and being inclusive about it all. So. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely. I had this, um,
2: I had a, I'll call it a moment, but in a way it was, it was a little bit more than a moment, which was, I was, I was the youngest of a new generation of teachers that was teaching at yoga journal conferences, Mm. right? So back in the day, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a little bit before, I mean, before glow, before streaming content like this, Mm -hmm. there were videos and stuff, but before Mm -hmm. streaming content, um and before a much larger proliferation in yoga conferences around the world mm-hmm. the main conferences were yoga journal, conferences. Yoga journal. Mm-hmm. and i taught at those from a pretty young age so i was the young generation mm-hmm. and as social media started to come about as yeah. streaming content started to come about i was i was in a i was younger and I was much more formative in my career. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was easier for me to adapt to some mm-hmm. of the newer content. Right. It was mm-hmm. easier for me to be like, oh yeah, I, okay, I will, I will happily teach a 20-minute online class instead of no, it has to be a two-hour class. Right. So I was able to like be of that young generation that adopted um, and that. Or that adapted to that changing environment. And for mm. me, there were so many of not my main teacher, but so many of my teachers and so many people of a certain generation that I have so much professional admiration for. But they didn't, they didn't really choose to adapt to a mm-hmm. new environment. Mm-hmm. And um and so they aren't as well known by a younger generation because they're not in the medium right. in which a younger generation finds those people. And they're amazing teachers, but for any number of reasons, they didn't they didn't put themselves into various platforms where um where where other people could get to know
0: them. Right. And I but I almost feel like as far as if we're talking about that generation, I mean, I hate to. The- categorize them that way but that generation just before before you know when you're saying you were young and that the the ones that were right before it's almost i think there's also maybe there's a choice too though to not want to be that far out there you know what i mean like i think that's what i kind of gathered from a lot of a lot of the ones that i've been fortunate enough to kind of come into even like yeah i mean just not even naming names but there have been a few that you know yeah, that I ask, like, well, why didn't you go down this path, or why didn't you choose to do this? Because you could easily do it. It's well, actually, I, I didn't want to. I think there's, yeah, you know, and and to their point, they might be holding on to it that way for specific, like, not a dogmatic reason. They might be holding their ground for tradition's sake, or that might be the case. Sure. But any number like, of reasons, whatever number, yeah, exactly. But I, I see that for that generation. I think now, like you. And even myself, I think it's like a- adaptability is a big thing. How, you know, it's, and it's yeah. not like, Oh, I need to fit into this. That's not the, that's not where it comes from, but it's very much of like, how can I be used this way, this way, this way. And like, how can I give in this way, this way, and this way, um, which I think has proven quite positive and good for, if we want to call it careers, you know, that, that gives, for sure, gives us access to people. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've always been extremely motivated to
2: teach. Mm. I don't really care so much in what environment I'm teaching. So mm. if it's through, you know, a post or through mm-hmm. a podcast or through mm-hmm. a glow class or through an in-person something, I'm mm-hmm. just happy to communicate and teach because I really like the subject matter.
1: You Has that I mean? been like for me?
2: like do you feel like since that, I was that was young i always like, yeah since i was continue. young i always wanted to teach i always okay. wanted to teach i didn't know it would be this subject i liked philosophy right. as a kid um, okay i like philosophy as a kid more than i like philosophy now like i will deal with philosophy now i mean that's pretty the most amazing part, that, I like,
0: yeah. wow
2: i like practical matters um <laughs> but uh yeah i always wanted to be a teacher and it was only it was only through falling in love with yoga that I was like, Mm. okay, well, this is the subject matter that I want to communicate. And so I always have to remind myself that you have to communicate to people in a medium that that people are willing to hear that teaching. And the Mm. medium of how people hear things changes, it's changed so much in in our lifetimes. Yeah. So I don't for me personally, I don't want to be so i don't want to say stubborn because it's automatically negative i don't want to be so beholden Mm. to say no i can only teach this one thing in the one environment i want Mm -hmm. to say okay well whatever environment someone is willing to hear something in let me do my best to adapt to that environment i'm not going to change what i'm teaching that what we're teaching what we're teaching regardless of environment right but but being able to you know change strategy so that people hear what we want to communicate by being on platforms that people pay attention to, to me, it's, that's a, that's an easy choice to make. Mm. Well, it's, it's, uh, um, it's, it's really (laughs) nice to talk to you. It's mostly nice to take most of your classes. Sometimes, um, you you know how many times you know you know the world you know your students love you and curse you right yeah like i'm "Ah, sure that's the case yeah yeah i mean it's i don't know that i've taken a i don't know that i've taken but i've almost only ever taken your your harder classes so i bet i bet i haven't cursed i bet i wouldn't curse you (laughs) if i was taking like your one two shavasana class but everything else i'm appreciative that your class is there um (laughs) And I and I also I also get a little bit mad at you, and I have to get through that.
0: And that's very well. Helpful, I, I appreciate you sharing that with me, and and I'm sure, like you said, many other people, yes, have gotten mad at me, and I've been teaching publicly <laughs> here in LA again as of late, and I experienced the anger and the happiness all the same time it, firsthand. So I, I now remember what that feels like. So um, yeah, exactly. Well, welcome back into the studio of being back in the back in the room. Yeah, and welcome back to you being in Mali and teaching yeah. a retreat after, I mean, two years. It's been two, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we were having a little conversation right before we
2: started. And yeah. as we are recording, this is the first time in two years that I've taught um, away. I've taught two in-person classes ah, okay. uh, in San Francisco when, stu- when the studio, like temporary open before I moved to Southern California. Right, um, right but this is the first time I've gotten on an airplane to teach in two years
0: right. and and it feels pretty good yeah it's good to be in I, the room with people I, yeah. I don't even have to say I can imagine because I do know I know I yeah. know it yeah. feels good that this is what right, I well, feel like we do <laughs> yeah nice to connect with you man pleasure to connect with you too thank you so much for, for, uh, for all you do
1: Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at GLOW. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider at Red Cub Agency for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find The Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.